0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music,
1: and more. Welcome to Earshot. You're probably thinking, wait, this doesn't sound like the other host. And you're right. My name's Takun Budzi and I'm hosting the program instead of Miyuki Yokioanta. Through 10 stories this season... We'll hear unique voices and sounds revealing the unexpected, the unconventional, and the unfamiliar. But speaking of familiar, Miyuki's back for this one episode, and she sounds different.
2: Google, Google. Siri, mycroft. It's time for a shot. Play the cup of tea scene from My Fair Lady.
3: Again, Lada.
4: Oh
5: no! Can't you hear Cook. the difference? Look, put your tongue forward until it squeezes on the top of your lower teeth, and then say cup. Cup. Then say of. Of. Then say cup, 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 cup,
4: of, 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 cup, 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 of, 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 cup, 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 cup,
2: cup, cup. What does your voice say about you? Not the words you say but all the extra information the voice carries. From the details we can hear, like your accent, to the details we can't. But apparently new technologies can. The more we extract from our voices, the more important tools they become. Our voices identify us. They grant us access. They can even help get us a job. But still, we
5: can't control how they are received. Getting ourselves heard by others is very difficult because we send the message out into the ether, and it does depend on the on the hearer as to whether the message gets over. Uh, Derrida has got a wonderful book called The Ear of the Other, and uh, our fate lies in the ear of the other.
2: And what happens when our voices are uncoupled from our bodies completely? This is Earshot, and I'm Miyuki Okiranta. You are not Miyuki Okiranta. You're an algorithmic rendering of me, and I will get to you later. Ah, uh, actually, could you introduce the first bit though? Sure. Your voice is your passport.
6: <laughs> Identity became a concern when there were very significant refugee flows coming to Australia, and one of the favourite ways the department had of testing identity back in the early 2000s was to screen people's voice and to screen their and was to screen their accents.
2: Sanmati Verma, migration lawyer at Clovia Anderson Immigration Lawyers.
6: The flows that were coming in were people who were displaced from um, Iraq and Afghanistan. People were um, fleeing in circumstances where, because of decades of civil war, systems of civil identification were just broken down or, as is the case in many many countries, not centralised. So, you know, someone somewhere record, um, in your provincial area, but if that office was, you know, struck down by a bomb or um, the records were misplaced or they were um, destroyed through some other means, um, then there was no record of who you were. So... Documentary proof, which is, you know, what Western legal systems are of course used to. A series of kind of more biometric, biopolitical procedures of establishing people's identity were um, put in train.
4: My name is uh, Javed. Um I'm acting as a community leader and a religious leader. I'm working for the community when I arrived 20 years ago.
2: One of the groups arriving was ethnic Hazaras from Afghanistan. Who fleeing from religious persecution by the Taliban were displaced to Pakistan.
4: I arrived in Australia as an asylum seeker in 2000. We thought just we're going to Australia, they say we are refugee. That's it. We didn't know we're going to detention center, we're going to for interview, with which question they asking. We never had any idea about those things. They not said we're testing your language as well.
2: Jaweed was subject to a rudimentary Lardo test, language analysis for the determination of origin. Professor Tim McNamara, now retired, spent several years working on the topic of Lardo for asylum seekers since the test's introduction in 1993.
5: Well, it was introduced in Sweden. The Swedish government uh, decided to use the way people spoke as part of the process of establishing the likelihood that the person is really from the place that they claim to be from. So the interview is done. If it's done by a properly trained linguist probably trained linguists are trained, this is precisely how they're trained, to elicit speech samples from people in a way that feels very natural, so that it feels like a conversation, it doesn't feel like, a, you know, an interrogation, where the linguist has got in mind certain key features um, that are distinctive of distinguishing various varieties.
2: Varieties within a language. Someone trained to hear the smallest units of sound in speech how you pronounce your A's, is that more a P or a B, sounds that place you on one side of the border or the other. But Australia didn't employ professional linguists.
4: Yeah, there wasn't any, really wasn't any language test. There wasn't any professional tester. Only um, we had on that time the case officer and also the interpreter. They used... The interpreter as a tester uh, they're not aware i'm sure they're not aware about the language and accent in afghanistan example if hazara living in central afghanistan is um they disconnected from people living in the in jalalabad mm-hmm. in in kandahar disconnected most of uh, afghanistanian people can't speak, not understand Pashtun. And most of the Pashtuns can't speak Dari.
2: And the language that Jawid speaks, Hazaragi.
4: Hazaragi, none of them. None of them know about the Hazaragi. Hazaragi is not recognised.
2: Was only recognised by Australia as an official language several years after his arrival.
4: The interpreters, the same as, as me, they don't know about the accent and language in central Afghanistan, mostly in Hazara. The end of the interview, the case officer asked the interpreter what to think about the language of this person. The interpreters uh, judge how he is from Afghanistan or not. He speaks Dari or not. Uh, it is not his job.
2: Often the interpreters were asylum seekers themselves and brought their biases with them.
4: Some of them used their mind they had in Afghanistan Discrimination. Yep. Some people is, is spend years in detention center, and some people is they send back because of the mistake of some interpreter or tester.
2: Lado made the news in early 2000 with the case of the Bakhtiari family.
6: The Australian government is standing by its decision to deport the Bakhtiari family who fought a very public four-year battle to remain in the country. A newspaper report today quotes authorities in Afghanistan confirming that the family of asylum seekers are in fact citizens of Afghanistan and not, as the Australian government claimed, Pakistani. And led by Dr Diana Eads at the
2: University of New England, several linguists, studied the transcripts of the appeals at the then Refugee Review Tribunal.
5: We found that the analyses were really disgraceful. In fact, many of the cases, the cases that we studied, almost all of them were overturned on appeal and many of them were overturned on, on language grounds once the uh, shoddiness of the language analysis had been revealed to the court.
7: Hello. <laughs> Uh, My name is Lawrence Abu Hamdan. I'm an artist uh, very much interested in sound and the politics of listening. And um, I'm a private ear from Beirut, Lebanon.
2: Lawrence, the reason why I've contacted you is because I came to know about Lado through your documentary, uh, The Freedom of Speech Itself.
8: This syllable is the sound that provides the UK border agency with the alleged certainty of Mohammed's Syrian origin. They designate this vowel as a Syrian national and imply that its use in the word for tomato is coterminous with Syria's borders. But locating this Syrian vowel in the speech of a Palestinian surely proves nothing more than the displacement of the Palestinians themselves. In other words, the instability of an accent, its borrowed and hybridized phonetic form, is testament not to someone's origins, but only to an unstable and migratory lifestyle, which is of course common in those fleeing from conflict and seeking asylum. Is it not more likely then that a genuine asylum seeker's accent would be an irregular and itinerant concoction of voices a sort of biography of a journey rather than an immediately distinguishable voice that avows its unshakable roots to a single place
7: so it's really struck me you know that that, that this language analysis for the termination of origin had really specific implications for the way we understood free speech for the way we understood a lot of the, the place of our voices in the world. And it seemed to me that, although it was happening to people really at the fringes of politics, it seemed to have great implications for the way our voices were, were going to be listened to in the future.
2: A group of international linguists wrote a set of guidelines that said, if Lado is to be used, there are ways to sharpen the tool. Use qualified linguists. Better understand how language moves across borders and allow there to be uncertainty. Costly, time-consuming ways that only a couple of governments diligently practice, while many others don't.
5: What can people who care about human rights do within that space? We can draw attention to the, the difficulty and we can try also to find ways of navigating it. If it's done properly, then one's trying to navigate that very uncertain space, that very difficult and fraught but highly consequential space. And I think bailing out of that is not an option, really.
4: When I was in detention centre, I was a small number. They mark as, yes, a refugee. Yep. The main reason was my language. Uh, My... um, qualification, my experience was helped me a lot. And they called me a teacher because when the first arrived, what was your job? I say I well, was a teacher. They called me a teacher. Yeah.
2: From what I found, the Australian government no longer uses Lado, but it is still used in the UK and several other countries. In Nuremberg in Germany, they've begun automating the process. Asylum seekers can be automatically cross-referenced against a database of recorded voices.
7: I think, again, I think the questions that we're asking of the voice are wrong. It can never be a bureaucratic document. Whereas if you actually think about the ways in which a voice behaves, the way in which a sound leak across the border, the way in which things reflect off each other, the way in which now my voice is a product of the room as much as it is a product of my kind of lungs and larynx. You derive truth from its very relational behavior rather than seeing it as as things which can be extracted and isolated and pulled out and separated.
2: Your voice is your key.
6: Welcome to Tax Offers Individual Self-Help. We've introduced a highly secure and faster way to access
2: your information. Your call will be recorded to improve our services and to create your unique voice print, which may be used to...
0: You know, the ATO, like, like many organisations, when... When somebody rings up, you've got a lot of security questions that you have to get through. And it was causing, you know, many repeat phone calls. Maybe they didn't have the information they needed at the time. Uh, It could also be quite lengthy.
2: Already created a MyGov account? So, this is Manad. How can I help you? Hi. uh, I'd like to set up a voice print, please. Oh, OK. So, to enrol, we'll take a sample of your voice from our conversation today to create your voice print. Are you okay. happy to proceed? Yes. Okay. So now I'm, I'm just obliged to have to keep the conversation going so that we'll have your voice print recording. Uh, how cool is it to work in a radio? Ah, so so. The ATO introduced voice prints, think fingerprints for voice, in 2014, using the tech of US company Nuance. 5.3 million Australians have voluntarily enrolled. I hesitated before enrolling. There's the issue of handing over all my biometric data, but I also wonder how unique my voice actually is. What if my AI twin wanted to pay my tax for me? Assistant Commissioner Ben Foster assures me the algorithms can hear things that I can't.
0: There are a number of characteristics about the voice that are very unique to us. The size of your your, your face, your, your vocal cavity, you know, all of these sort of things contribute to, I guess, subtleties and variations in the sound of your voice that you and I may not be able to necessarily pick up. And what it's doing on an authentication is saying, you know, it's sort of comparing how much do I sound like the enrolled voice print, you know, with a comparison of how much I don't sound like everyone
2: else. Your voice print will work if you have a cold, as you age, even if there's some background noise. Because you narrow the search, you enter your tax file number and you get a one-to-one match.
0: And a one-to-one match is a, a higher success rate, it's more accurate, so it gives us a you know, good level of confidence that it's that the same person, rather than the alternative of perhaps searching for a voice through, through millions of records, which is not something that we do.
2: And if there's no match, back to the old security questions.
3: Interest in the voice, in the kind of biometric mode that we might be familiar with, in the sense of a um, sort of forensic interest in the voice, really starts to pick up around like the late 1800s, early 1900s, as it comes to be aligned with a lot of other work that is interested in defining characteristics of criminality. So some of the early interests in the voice has to do with sort of anthropometric and physiognomic efforts, some of which is tied very closely to eugenics. Xiao
2: Chang Li, assistant professor in communication at Stanford University, works on the history of computing, from voice identification to speech recognition. Now, as a lover of the voice, of the way that it fills my ears, I was shattered to learn that at the heart of all of this voice tech is an image a visual representation of sound, a spectrograph. It looks like a waveform, but it maps frequencies and their intensity. And that is what the machines, the programs, the algorithms are all reading, because it is that much faster to look at a snapshot of sound than to listen in real time.
3: The sound spectrograph, as it was first developed, was developed for... A couple of different reasons, but neither of them was speaker verification. First, an interest in trying to produce something like visual telephony, to be able to transfer voice as visual data so that you can read it. And then related to that, for deaf education. Many of the early efforts were about trying to capture the qualities of the voice and pronunciation in an effort to provide materials for deaf education. As this research gets taken up and further developed during the Second World War, as part of defence research, the efforts to use it to identify speakers and essentially track signatures of speakers really starts to take hold.
2: And so then when I call up to try and use my voice print, do I have to say a sentence or how does it work?
9: Yeah, so the next time you call, okay, and it shows enormous successes. So the next time you call while you're waiting on the hold they have you repeat the sentence. Um, in Australia my voice
2: identifies me. In Australia my voice in identifies Australia, me and you now have voice my voice print. Me. Yep, it's it's enrolled successfully on our account on your account. Yep. So that was that was maybe 2 minutes less of conversation and you've recorded my voice. Already, yep. In Australia my voice identifies I would like me. to pay Miyuki's tax, but Ben says that I couldn't get into her account if I tried. He says there has not yet been a breach of the ATO system with an incorrect voice match, or an AI voice clone, yet.
0: Like with any security type process, technology evolves. If we go back to when we we introduced this technology, you know, the risk profile has changed and evolved over that time. And we make changes to adapt to that as, as time goes by.
2: Now, can we talk, can we talk me, about uh, me now? Yes. Okay. Introduce the next section, please. Is this, is this your voice this is, voice is you? your asset. Uh, this asset. We, your voice is product your product 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 asset. Product I I product voice. I still got more work to do. Submit. Submit. So, okay. strictly for this documentary, Say this like you would naturally. I've been creating my voice clone I'll by recording my voice into a web day. app made by a Toronto-based company, Resemble AI and their algorithm trains itself on those recordings. When the audio is ready, I simply type in what I want my clone to say, and out comes my voice. No, not your voice. An algorithmic rendering of your voice. I only need a small sample of your actual voice. The rest I generate myself. Algorithmic voices are weaving through all aspects of life. Have you heard Holly Herndon's latest album? Her AI's name is Spawn. And the security and surveillance implications are manifold. Just think deep fakes, but for voice. But the industry around computational patterning using the voice is only growing from voice prints, voice assistants like Siri, Alexa and Google to be able to read emotion in your voice.
3: This is a fairly persistent fantasy in the production of data about the body, especially in the production of data at scale, which is to sort of try to detect patterns across a population as a way then to predict behaviours, right? To sort of stratify and classify individuals um, and guess at what they might do. I have a little crush on Spawn.
9: My name is Alex Martin, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of ClearSpeed. What if there was a way to leverage technology where people could opt in, conduct a series of, of, quote, checks and they understand exactly what is being asked and answer of them and how this technology will be used to, in fact, if they clear, propel them to the front of the line and present themselves in a way to the hiring body as, hey, I'm trustworthy and can be really valuable in in your organisation.
2: ClearSpeed, formerly AC Global Risk, sells a voice analytics technology that can assess the potential risk someone poses. Risk of what? That depends on the situation. The U.S. military use it for hiring an insider threat, insurance companies to identify fraud, and a Ugandan not-for-profit to sort out potential poachers. But how is risk
9: heard in the voice? Fundamentally, it's all a a phone call. And think of it like an automated questionnaire. Yes-no questions, very simple, very direct. And at the end of that questionnaire, the the phone call simply terminates and that person um, is completed with with their check.
2: The questions are designed with the client, so they're context-specific, but reveal something with the response.
9: When the question is asked and answered, it should be totally uncontroversial to everyone. For example, if I asked you, "Did you kill John F. Kennedy?" Totally, you know, absolutely no memory of that. Not a threat to you. You did not. But through these questionnaires. If the question is asked and it does pose a threat to you, it stimulates what's known as the acute threat response. And in concert, what's known as cognitive effort that is associated with a speaker's conscious attempts to obfuscate the facts, right? Or as we say, answer inaccurately. These are the things that collide and impact speech, right? Phonation, resonating aspects of speech. And that's what we're detecting and measuring. Everyone should be able to say no and have absolutely no problem in their response. Their their no looks normal against our model, and we score it as lower average risk. But if there is neurophysiological reaction, depending on the amount of reaction, could either be scored as potential risk or even high risk. And what this does is it creates a flag. Therefore, you should follow up.
2: We are talking yes or no questions. So to me, it sounds like it's it's a voice polygraph. It's kind of a lie detector for the voice.
9: No, that's actually, I would say that's inaccurate. Lie detection is the process of making a final binary determination of truth, lie or no lie. It's binary. You're either lying or you're not. Lie detection technology, okay, is based on micro feature analysis, signal level stuff like jitter, shimmer, tremor, wobble, all that stuff, right? Those physiological changes that are are happening. Risk assessment is an interdisciplinary process. And this is identifying and assessing risk along a continuum from low to high. But RRA technology is actually measuring macro level stylistic voice changes. And this is elicited in that voice production process that we talked about. And this is, so this is a completely different science application, completely different market application and completely different use application than lie detection.
3: What I think we have to do is have a better awareness of what it is that these systems do and to what ends and where their limits are. Um, And I don't mean that in the sense of kind of like this sort of opening the black box question, um, because I don't necessarily think that solves it. I think we have to understand more, not only about the sort of present functions of these technical systems, but the way in which they were developed and the kind of historical residue that they've carried with them um, and the aims that they were used for. And how those aims shaped what they've become.
9: The results are never used for determination, so no one will ever not get a job, or you know, not get their insurance claim filed, or not be able to, you know, um, you know, work on a sensitive project. But at no point does our technology do the adjudication. We're simply providing the flag.
2: Clearspeed already has a toehold in the Australian market, working with security firm PSG, to identify human rights violations in company supply chains. But they're in discussion with several other companies, including state governments.
5: But I think that in all of these things, you've just always got to be really unsure about the certainty of your conclusions. You know, you've got to make these judgments about people which are hugely consequential. So you need to embrace the uncertainty. You need to enter that space. You need to embrace that space and behave ethically within it. That seems to me the crucial thing. If I
2: give away that much each time I open my mouth, I'm almost afraid to speak. But I'll run the risk and take the chance to be heard. But Miyuki, you're not heard once, you're heard in multiple. As your voice, your voice reflected and change out in the world. As the sound file we're now listening to, and as me, your algorithmic voice.
7: The idea that there is one sort of true self that is somehow embedded in the voice is a kind of perversion of the ways in which I think voice actually works, which is as a kind of technology, right? It's, it's no more... Uh, way of transmitting thoughts and uh, accessing knowledge and I think when we see it like that we remove a lot of this sort of idea of you know essentialized self of, of containing so much of ourselves and I think I think it doesn't I think we we continually reinvent ourselves and and one way to hear that very keenly is by listening to the voice
1: My Voice is My Passport was a collaborative effort between producer Miyuki Okiranta and sound engineer Angie Grant. The composer was Rosalind Hall. Next time on Earshot, you'll meet Jim Everett. Jim's a Palawa man from Lutruwita, Tasmania. He's a poet, an activist, a fisherman, a troublemaker, and a philosopher. And he uses humour to look racism in the face. I'm Budzi. See you next time.